It's a woman in India that watches as her sister is dragged off by Hindu nationalists. She doesn't know if her sister is dead or alive. There's a man in North Korea in a prison camp. He was shaken awake after being beaten unconscious. The beatings began again. A woman in Nigeria runs for her life. She has escaped from Boko Haram, who kidnapped her. She is pregnant, and when she returns home, her community will reject her and her baby. A group of children are laughing and talking as they come down to their church's sanctuary. After eating together, instantly many of them are killed by a bomb blast. It's Resurrection Sunday in Sri Lanka. These people don't live in the same region. They don't live on the same continent. But they share an important characteristic. They share with the rest of the world who are believers in Christ. We fellowship in that. Persecution is defined as a hostility experienced as a result of identification with Jesus Christ. From Sudan to Russia, from Nigeria to North Korea, from Colombia to India, and on and on. All throughout the world, followers of Christianity are targeted because of their faith. They're attacked, they're discriminated against at work, at school. They risk sexual violence and torture and arrest and on and on and on it goes. And just the last year, just the last year, 2019, there have been over 260 million Christians living in places where there is high levels of persecution. Over 3,000 Christians have been killed for their faith in 2019. 10,000 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked. You've heard about fires in churches? Over 3,000 believers detained without trial, arrested and sentenced, or imprisoned. These numbers are heartbreaking. This is really happening. It's really going on. This report at Christian persecution, that's all current. It's nothing new. It has its roots, at least as far as warnings go, for the church. It has its roots in a sermon or a teaching that Jesus had call the Olivet Discourse, which is eschatological, future things, end times. He dealt with that in a whole chapter in Matthew, and in Mark, and in Luke, about the coming of Christ and things that are going to happen down to details before He comes back. And as we uh, said last week in humor, and I like what Shane and I thought about it a little bit more. Jesus is a killjoy. Is that what you had termed it? Was it was it killjoy or something like that? Yeah. And that was on the heels of as the disciples looked at that amazing, marvelous building, one of the wonders of the world, that temple, and Jesus says, 
it's all coming down. You know, looking at this, look at this. He's going, uh, guys, this is not going to last. Not one stone left upon another. And then they say, well, when's that going to be? Can you give us the signs of that? What, what about that? And you know what? He continues to give news that would seem bad. He says, there's going to be wars, rumors of wars, there's going to be earthquakes, there's going to be famines, nation, kingdom against kingdom, terrors in the sky. That's great, isn't it? And the disciples saying, oh wow, that's a joy. Can't wait for that to happen. Jesus, you're just spoiling everything. This is a Passover and you're ruining it. Well, you know, it sounds like bad news. It's at a height in time here for the disciples. They're excited because they're right under the Messiah. They're getting ready, as far as they're concerned, to take over the kingdom. And then he says things like this. <laughs> okay, plagues, famines, earthquakes, yeah, those things happen, wars. But oh boy. They just get worse and they get worse. But he starts talking about something that is personal. He says she'll be persecuted. And what happens is that he says this is going to happen very quickly for all those other things. It's going to happen. Matter of fact, as you get near the end, things multiply worse. Are you guys still with me? <laughs> we do have good news as we go through this. Uh, he doesn't sugarcoat Anything Jesus does not, does He? He tells the truth the way it is. Well, couldn't He wrap it up in a little bit better of a package? He does it in the ultimate, perfect way. Aren't you glad that He tells us things beforehand? Or else we could be overwhelmed and surprised at what's happening. So we have another persecution message. And you know what? The world has been demonstrating how depraved it is. It's atrocious. As it multiplies and has more ways to sin than ever before. Same sin, but through technology of our times, there's been sins multiplying that we could never imagine as before. Give you a some of the ones that are in the, the nations that are in the top 20 that are the worst in persecuting Christians. Number one, North Korea. Number two, Afghanistan. Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Sudan, Yemen, Iran, India, Syria, Nigeria, Saudi Arabia, Maldives, Iraq, Egypt, Vietnam, China. Those really aren't friendly people to our nation. Really. They kill the very backbone 
know what this nation is about. The martyrdom is tremendous in those nations. And we could go on and on. Nation after nation. If we were to put up a map right now, I wish I had a picture of it, I should have done that. Of all the persecution that's happening in the world, you wouldn't see hardly any bright spots where they don't have persecution. That has happened in our lifetime. One of the reasons is because of Islam. If you would have noticed, I'm sure you did, Afghanistan, Somalia, Pakistan, Sudan, the African countries, right on through the Middle East, even in Europe now, that religion pretty well dominates the whole world. If you don't go along with them, they believe in killing you. That's what their scripture says. Now, there are a lot of people in Islam that would say that they would disagree. But their religion and their words say something else. And Muhammad says something else. This is where we're at in this nation, in this world. As that religion grows. But it's not only them. It's Hinduism does the same thing. The nationalist. Religions persecuting other religions. Interesting, isn't it? How peaceful are they? Well, he proceeds, Jesus does, and uh, explains what's going to happen to the disciples. It's been a pattern for the church for 2,000 years. He goes on, he goes on. It's because that his people are associated with him. They take his name, called Christians. Christians, they too will get treated as he was. Why should they expect anything differently? And that's where we're at today as Jesus speaks about the near future of the disciples. And so it it also should pertain to us for we know that maybe we don't feel it I don't feel a lot of it, but it's being felt everywhere in a huge capacity. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, Your truth. What a blessing it is that You tell us and You forewarn us. You keep warning us all throughout Scripture that if we join Your crowd, we can expect persecution some light, some heavy, even to the point of death. But if we see the real picture, we shall be encouraged as Christians. For He is what everything is about. And He's got something much better. You do, Lord. Thank You. And help us go into this truth knowing a little bit better your character, your nature, your person, of who you are and what your overall plan is, it is good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's stand and uh, let's turn to Luke 21, starting at verse 12. But before...
before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. For I will give you utterance and wisdom, which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. Yet not of a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. You can be seated. Okay. Before all things, right? To be delivered up. Delivered up in verse 12. But before all these things, all these things are nations against nations, kingdom against kingdoms, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, disturbances, terrifying signs. Before all of those things, what's coming to you is going to be persecution. That's the idea. Immediately it's going to happen. Very soon. We're not talking years here. We're talking within a month or so. Peter preaches the first sermon after Christ ascends. This is opposite of what the disciples are expecting. This is shocking. Just absolutely terrifying of what he's saying. You know, wars are one thing, and the earthquakes, they're going to happen. Tornadoes, hurricanes, they happen. Always have happened. They happen more and more, as we pointed out last week, and we showed you the numbers. They've increased vastly. But persecution, personally, this does not fit into their theology. (laughs) Probably to us, it really doesn't fit too well. I don't understand. When the Messiah comes, the Golden Age starts. Everything is great. You'll be persecuted, he says. And then, he says, they will lay their hands on you, that's being arrested, and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons. Synagogues. First of all, who's going to be persecuting Jesus' disciples who are Jewish? The Jewish people. That's who has the synagogues. Why there? Well, that's where they had the courts. The courts were in the synagogues. Every town had a synagogue. It was the school. It was the court meeting place. It was the place where they were, everything revolved around. They had 23 judges to adjudicate cases. There would finally be a judgment. They'd render the verdict. And punishment would become immediately 
at that very moment. So they would get out the whips, scourge them. In fact, we know that these are countrymen. These are Jews. They're going to be some people that they're related to. Neighbors. Friends. Relatives. You can imagine a town of a hundred people. Everybody knows everybody. A lot of them are related. They're going to be finding you guilty and punishing you for being a Christian. Scourging started shortly after Peter's first sermon at Pentecost, and you'll see it throughout the book of Acts repeatedly, repeatedly. Can't say it enough. The word can't. I hear it a few times and I go, okay, it's enough. Let's review a few of these things. Turn to the book of Acts. This will be easy to follow because it's in almost every chapter. Let's start chapter 4. Very early on, Acts 4, 1 through 3. As they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed. Being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them, they arrested them, and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. The title of this is what? Persecution, Opportunity for Testimony. Right there, right off the bat. It happens, doesn't it? They're arrested. Go to chapter 5, verse 17. There's going to be quite a few that I'll be missing. Just hitting on a few. You have church growing. All of a sudden, there's discipline in the church with Ananias and Sapphira. And then in verse 17, but the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. Look how this thing is growing, this church. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. Of course, the angel visits Peter and lets him out. They're on trial constantly. Look in chapter 8, verse 1. This is interesting. Saul, Paul, was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. That was Stephen. Paul was in hearty agreement. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. Now it's great. Who's persecuting who? Jews are persecuting Jews who are Christian. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They buried Stephen. Okay, they were scattered. 
To where? Judea and Samaria. What did Jesus say to do? While you're here, He says, don't worry about when the kingdom is. Here's what I want you to do. As you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you have His power, go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. What's happening already in Acts 8? Very quickly on. Paul isn't even a Christian yet. He's in on this. Amazing. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, the apostles James and John. James was put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. Seized him, put him in prison, delivering to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bringing out before the people. But the church is praying for him, right? Peter is freed from prison there. Chapter 13, verse 50. Claiming of the gospel and such Gentiles are hearing this and rejoicing. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul. Now he's getting it. And Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Shook off the dust, protest against them and went to Iconium. They were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That's how you respond to that. They were kicked out of a city. How humbling. Wow. Chapter 14. In Iconium, verse 1, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of the Jews and of Greeks. They're in a Gentile city. Jews are coming to Christ Gentiles are coming to Christ. But the Jews, that's what we're concentrating on right now. This is His fellow people who killed Christ, of course. Who disbelieved, stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Go to verse 5. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyaconia, Lystra, and Derbe and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Wouldn't you have thought they said, guys, we got to do something different. <laughs> Maybe let's just kind of get quiet and lay low and... Uh, just whisper Jesus' name, but don't let anybody hear it. No, that's not what Jesus told them. They continue to preach the gospel. Wow. 
Amazing, isn't it? Verse 22. They went to back to the cities to encourage the peoples. Uh, this is in 22. Encouraging the souls of the disciples. Encouraging them to continue in the faith. And say, guess what? What was happening there? Persecution. Even after Paul left, they are being persecuted. And Paul says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That means, before you go into the kingdom of God, you are going to have tribulations, trials, tribulations, persecutions, things coming against you. He says, that's how you get into the kingdom. That's part of it. It doesn't merit you, but it shows what your faith is about. Tells about chapter 17, verse 5. But the Jews, they're preaching at Thessalonica now, becoming jealous again and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacking the house of Jason. They were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them and they all asked contrary to the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king, Jesus. So they're trying to turn the Gentiles against them. The Jews go after them every city. Wherever Paul went, there were the Jews right behind them. They're coming in there and they try to convince the Gentiles to be on their side there to give them some help on that. Get them out. Chapter 21, verse 27. When the seven days, this is Paul, whenever he went to the temple, were almost over the Jews from Asia. The Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him. There he is. They're there for the festival. They recognize who he is. He's been preaching up there. They're there. These are Jewish people. And they cry out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people, against our the Jewish people and the law. And this place, the temple. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they previously seen Trophus, the Ephesian, in the city with him and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple, which that didn't happen. See what's happening? It's just everywhere the Gospel goes, there's somebody there to counter it. Every time. 25 verse 2. And the chief priest and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul And they were urging him, requesting a concession against Paul that he might have him brought to Jerusalem at the same time, setting an ambush to kill him on the way. So, who are these from? These persecutions are from his own people. Okay. Not trying to beleaguer it more. (laughs) Do you get the idea? We know this. That was the Jews. Let's go back to Luke. Chapter 
21, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons. We've seen that, right? Bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. Okay, first of all, it was the synagogues, and now who is it before? Synagogue, or, uh, excuse me, kings and governors. Did the Jews have kings at that time? No. The Gentiles have them. You know, you think of King Herod. A lot of other kings. King Agrippa. Kings about different territories. There is the Caesar that's over the whole empire. The Kaiser, the Caesar, he is the king over all. So, that's what is happening now as not only the Jews, the Gentiles get in on this. And so the whole world is against them. It's like us against the world. And it really was. Let's turn back to Acts chapter 16. Verse 19. Paul and Silas are going to be imprisoned here because there was a slave girl and she had a divination spirit and she was fortune telling and she was bringing in a lot of money for her masters. Oh, you want to get a Gentile mad? Start taking their money away. So when the masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which are not lawful. Now you're getting the Roman citizens involved actively. Now they're not getting the Jews coming in and trying to get help. It's their own. Especially when it hits the hardest in their pocketbook. (laughs) Chapter 18, verse 12. Interesting, isn't it? But while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, this is Gentiles, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat. This is the Gentiles' judgment seat. It's the Bema seat. That's the word in the Greek, Bema. Judgment seat. It's the town hall. It's the place where everything focuses at. And he's brought to that area in Corinth. The Gentiles do it. The Jews are right there with them. Chapter 22, verse 22. They listened to him up to this statement. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were crying out, throwing off their cloaks and tossing dust into the air, the commander ordered him to bring into the barracks, stating that he should be examined by scourging, so that he might find out the reason why they were shouting against him that way. Gentiles. 
do whatever they want. Bring them into the barracks. You know what? I'm going to stop there just for lack of time. But we've made a point. It is interesting, isn't it? It's like chapter after chapter after chapter. And if you read book of Acts, you say, yeah, I know that. But boy, you know, when you hone in on this, you go, this is, this is real. This is happening to my brothers and sisters. You know what? Back at that time. But they just kept marching forward, didn't they? Preaching the Gospel. And never quit. Never quit. Well, you know what? It wasn't just their own people. It was the rest of the world, wasn't it? You see, it did become illegal. At first, it wasn't illegal to the Roman government because they considered Judaism to be... Oh, it was okay for them to have it. You know, the Israelites, they worshipped, they had their temple. So at first it was okay. But they finally found out that Christianity was different than Judaism. Instead of persecuting the Jews at this time, they persecute the Christians that come off of that, which are really a very peaceful group, very loving, honorable people. So it became illegal. And we just saw that in some of these cities. Christians were not going to give allegiance to Caesar, though. They would have them say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is God. No Christian would say that Caesar is their God. And that's what started it. That's really where it became thronged into this horrible persecution across the world. It was treason against the Roman government as they had... uh, Actually, the whole empire was full of gods, multiple uh, gods all across the empire. The Jews would proclaim the kingdom of God, right? And that would be dealing with treason and overthrowing the Roman government. They partook of the Lord's Supper and that to the Gentiles as far as what they understood and there were lies, but it was cannibalism. They thought they were eating their own, eating people. Jesus said, you must eat of my flesh. So therefore, that's what they took that at and that's in some of the history books. Uh, you remember a lot of times you'll see Paul writing about the holy kiss. Well, you can imagine what they did with that. The immorality, that kind of activity. Men would kiss men on the cheeks. We know in the Middle East and a lot of other places that culture still does that today. But there they are. So that, you know, anything they can come up against. Pliny the governor, he's a Roman governor of Bithynia. This is in the second century. It was in the 100s A.D. now. He uh, had a letter that was sent to Emperor Trajan. This is history. It comes from a secular source. And it says that uh, the spread of Christianity has caused the pagan temples to be deserted and the sales of sacrificial animals to plummet. That's really where it hit them. The sales of sacrificial animals. 
the temples were being emptied and they were becoming Christians, folks. Isn't that great? Time to kill some Christians. Are you getting the picture? This is come from a secular source. And it shows Christians, and this is just not that long after the person of Christ had been here. Now why do people say that Christ never existed? Well, how can you explain Christianity? How can you have a leader that really isn't a leader because he didn't live here? He never was here. That's just absolutely stupid. Ignoramuses. How many people have you heard say that? Well, let's just close the history books and deny everything that existed until we came along. And that's basically what they do. So, 64 AD, Caesar Nero. That's where things really started getting heavy in persecution. There was a fire that ravaged Rome. It's absolute truth. Nobody denies this. Much of the city was really destroyed, damaged. Popular rumors went out that uh, Nero did it himself. Got it going because he could blame it on the Christians and then also get a new city built, new buildings and such. That's how the story goes. You've heard about the story Nero fiddling while Rome burned. Could be true, could be a legend story, may not be exactly accurate, but Nero needed a scapegoat. No doubt about it. Christians are the scapegoat. Uh, Christians are responsible for any bad things that happen throughout the history of the church. Who do you blame it on? The bubonic plague comes along. Who did it? Sometimes Jews. Sometimes Christians. Christians began to be savagely persecuted in an organized way. Arrested, cruelly tortured, thrown to wild animals, crucified, doused with oil, and put on sticks and lit as torches in Nero's garden. Historically that happened put tar on them and get the fire started. Nero's garden parties were a blast. Lit it up around there. According to tradition, both Peter and Paul were martyred under the persecution of Nero. It advances to Domitian, 90 A.D. Persecution extended all the way up into Asia Minor modern-day Turkey. It was this persecution under Domitian that caught John the Apostle and had him exiled to the Isle of Patmos. They thought they were getting somewhere with that one. <laughs> Have some fun with this Apostle, last one living. Well, he just inks the book of Revelation. Praise God. <laughs> Which, aren't you glad we have that today? And it tells what's going to happen in our future. Or the future to, to come. It is our future, isn't it? Well, also, there was one notable example of Christian martyrdom under the name of Polycarp. A great father of the faith. A hero Polycarp was. 
He was an aged bishop of the church at Smyrna around 160 A.D. as this persecution advanced. He was arrested for being a Christian and he was tied to a stake and burned. Just before he was burned, he was asked to deny Christ. You'll get out of this if you deny him. Polycarp said this, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never did me any injury. How can I then blaspheme my king and my savior? And he died triumphantly. That was in the second century. In AD 250, there was a Caesar by the name of Decius. Was it long? He had an empire wide persecution. The whole Roman Empire is persecuting Christians in a very organized way. Difficulties were coming against the Roman Empire and because of the Christians who were forsaking Rome's ancient gods, there was an edict and it required everyone to offer a sacrifice to the gods and to the emperor who is considered a god also and obtain a certificate arresting that they had done that if they denied to offer the sacrifice. If they didn't do it, they were imprisoned, they were tortured, they were slaughtered. And then the worst came, Diocletian. 52 years after that, 250 A.D., right around 300, the most violent empire, wide persecution came under Diocletian. It was all-out attempt to exterminate the Christian faith entirely. There were edicts to destroy churches, burn them up, destroy them. All copies of the Bible were to be burned. All Christians were to offer sacrifice to the Roman gods or to be killed. It wasn't until the Edict of Milan where Constantine comes into play and uh, that persecution ended. Ten years of it. By 324, Constantine established Christianity as the religion of the Roman Empire. That's good in a way, but honestly, it probably wasn't so good. Because now everybody in the Roman Empire is considered what? To be a Christian. He proclaimed everybody that way. Do you really believe everybody in the Roman Empire will become a Christian? Just because he says they are? And really, the church really started becoming very weak at that time. I will tell you this. What happened? Persecution didn't end, but it was the so-called church persecuting the church. It was called the Middle Ages. It was called the Holy Roman Empire. These are the dark ages, folks. And I want you to know the real truth. The false church persecuted the true church. It was the most massive persecution ever in the history of the church. And when I say massive, I mean massive. 
According to historian John Dowling, he's a reputable historian, and he's Roman Catholic, and he said the Roman Catholic Church put to death 50 million, quote, heretics between A.D. 606 to the mid-1800s. How many did we say? 50 million within a space of a thousand years or so. You say, well, that was a long time. We're talking about the church persecuting the church. Murderous was that period of time. Well, that was the Reformation. Reformation came along because the religious system had indulgences in their system and works righteousness. The people became to know because of the truth how violent that church could be at that time. It was violent. Fifty million people had been slaughtered all during that time. You've got people like Dion Huss. He said this, My Lord Jesus was bound with a harder chain than this for my sake. Why then I should be ashamed of this rusty chain when asked to renounce the, His de, uh, declining of Christ. He said, What I taught with my lips, I now seal with my blood. He gave testimony to the glory, to the honor of Christ, to the truth of the Gospel, all the way to the point of His death. And that's exactly what Jesus said would happen. It'll turn out for your testimony because that Spirit will show you what to say. You know what? Huss died singing a hymn as he was surrounded and engulfed by flames of the fire. He's singing a hymn. Going out joyously. Wow. I will tell you, no other religion has this kind of history ever in mankind's history. Believers continue to be persecuted. Muslim and Hindu controlled countries, especially Africa and the Middle East. Communist states have killed their millions. Christians have been massacred wholesale. In 1997, an article in the New York Times reported this. Catch this. Listen to this. More Christians have died this century, the 1900s. We all lived in that time. More Christians have died this century simply for being Christians than in the first 19 centuries after the birth of Christ. Did you catch that? More in the 1900s were than all the other years. This 20th century. New York Times reported that. 2,000 years of history. 70 million Christians have been martyred. Out of these 70 million, two-thirds of those 70 million were killed since 1990 to that 1997. Are you blown away by those figures? Similar to the uh, natural 
natural disasters you were talking about last Sunday. And it just gets more and more and more. Exactly. And Shane, that's exactly what we're hitting at. That's why it has mounted so huge. It was pretty bad before. But now, these are the birth pangs, and now they're beating rapidly. Hundred and sixty thousand a year at least are killed. False religions have killed millions and millions and millions. The final system will be more deadly than ever before. God spreads His gospel through persecution. The gospel through martyrdom and through suffering. Wow. Rather humbling, isn't it? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Let's go back to Luke. The end of verse 12. For my name's sake. You know what the whole issue is about? It's not you. It's Christ. It's for His name's sake. They persecute you, Jesus says, because they hate me. It's the issue. It's not that Christians are unkind that they're unlovable, that they're not nice, that they hate others. That's not a mark of a Christian at all, is it? Now some people under the guise of that name could be that way. True Christians are converted. They represent the Gospel. And they represent the only way that people can be saved. That's love. John 14.29 Now I've told you before it happens so that when it happens you may believe. Did you get that? I've told you before it happens. Everything that He does, He tells us before. So we move on to chapter 15 of John at verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated Me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Let's go to number two. Here's the opportunity. Right where our title is, is hitting at. We're at Luke 21.13, right? It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. 
just like Jesus. They, they never could refute Him, could they? It's going to open up the door for you to take the Gospel everywhere. Paul said in Philippians in chapter 1 as he was arrested there and he was in chains, he was bound to guards and he knew even Caesar's household who had come to the knowledge of the Savior. Philippians chapter 1 tells of that. The Gospel is going to the end of the world. Paul knows that. It's an opportunity for the testimony. Fox's Book of Martyrs has given us countless stories, testimonies of those who were burned at the stake, killed by the sword, killed by the guillotine. There's no other religion on the face of the earth that's been persecuted in such a way. There's no need to rehearse the defense. They're not going to have to worry about what they're going to say because at that moment, God by His Spirit will empower them to say things that cannot be refuted. Jesus did that. He says, I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. I'm going, but the Holy Spirit is going to empower you. And it's better that I go because the Holy Spirit is going to empower every one of you. It's going to be me living in you. The Holy Spirit living in you. When you have the Holy Spirit power, you can say things that the natural man cannot say or even understand. God will give you the words. Jesus had said this before many times. Go to Matthew 10, 17-19. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you'll even be brought before governors and kings for My name's sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it's not you who speaks, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks to you. This was in Matthew 10. This was long before where we're at now, just you know, hours before His crucifixion. This was in Matthew 10 whenever He was getting the disciples together. And He was already telling them this. Do you think they got it then? They didn't even get it now. (laughs) The book of Acts is filled with illustrations. How they were brought before authorities and such. We looked at that. Jesus is telling them to expect persecution so they wouldn't be shocked and surprised and somebody would say that's scary I don't want to hear about that I don't like revelation it's too, I, I just don't like it, it, it it's too heavy it, it, it really depresses me chapter 1 first few verses the Holy Spirit already knew that because he said blessed is the one who reads and understands this Blessed are you because you know about persecution and what is natural that's going to come to God's people. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Jesus has said it all along to His disciples and He said, if you know Me, 
This is it. This is what comes. Is this the way you lead people to Christ? <laughs> John 15, verse 18. Well, uh, uh, go to John 16. 1 through 4. These things I've spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They'll make you outcast from the synagogues, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he's offering service to God. That's what the Jews were doing. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me, but these things I've spoken to you so that when their hour, when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things... I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. When he very first started out, he you know, he knew that they wouldn't understand, but it was shortly after that he kept doing it, they still didn't understand. So, and this is at the very time, that night, later on he will be arrested, Jesus will. Let's go to number three. Dealing with family, friends, people we know. know very well. Everybody's going to hate you and count of my name right down to the very intimate circle of people around you. Family. And we saw in Matthew 10 that, and he says this in, a, in God's way, but if they do not, they're not believers, then you have to forsake their thoughts and their way of life and trust Christ anyway. He says, hate your father and mother. If you don't hate your father and mother and brother and sister and so on and so forth all the way throughout the whole family. If you don't... And even your kids and whatever, right? It's all the way around. And he's saying it in that you have to separate in the sense of would you rather be on their side and go to hell or would you rather be on Christ's side and go to be with Him? That's the idea. And in Matthew 10, many of you have claimed that. I know full well you came from different backgrounds, different religions, different way of raising up, but you had to separate from what your family had going on in their lives. Some of them were living you know, very unbelieving lives. They were not believers at all. And you knew that you could not continue in that kind of life. You separated from that. And that's the Matthew 10 that you so often go back to and proclaim that. And in other passages, we've seen it in Luke where we've talked about that. Your family is the people of Christ, whether they are related or not. See, we're all related anyway. We're from one race. There's only one race. It doesn't matter what the color is, where you come from. That one race is God's... He. He brought people into having life, and that's the race of the human race. So we see this family and friends and all around. It's us against the world. And when you see people that are supposed to be people who love you, and now all of a sudden you're standing for Christ, and and that is it, and they don't like that. What do you do, right? Hold on to truth. We don't have a choice. Mark was dragged out of death through the streets of Alexandria. James, the half-brother of Jesus, 
the half-brother of Jesus, the one who took over the pastoral duties in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church. He was the leader there. He was stoned by the order of the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court. Name all the other disciples, even all the way up to Timothy. They were killed for their unwavering commitment. Clement of Rome, a contemporary of the apostles, lived during the same time of them. He died around 100 A.D. He said this, though in, through envy and jealousy, the greatest and most righteous pillars of the church, the fathers of the faith, have been persecuted. The most righteous. This is the committed. Jesus said that would happen, and it happened. Very quickly, didn't it? When Jesus says things, he said, Do you think any other religions? Or isms and schisms would come up and say, okay, I hear the deal is, you join this, but you're going to be persecuted. Of course, they might bring you to a point where they give, offer you Kool-Aid, right? The Jim Jones thing and such. But he was the one persecuting them, wasn't he? Anyway, we think of Paul, what happened to him. He's seen in the book of Acts. He's persecuted all the time. True faith is going to endure. Let's look in Luke. Did Paul endure? Yes, he did. Until his physical body died. But did Paul endure? Yeah. (laughs) Big deal. I don't have this body anymore. He goes to be with the Lord. So, we look at this. uh, It almost seems like a difficult passage. It's not. I... uh, Where's it at? 16 says, But you'll be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. We just covered that, right? And you will be hated by all because of my name. Because of my name, right? That's the whole gist of the matter. Perseverance. I love this. We get to close on perseverance. I've been at one hour. I think I've got a couple of minutes left here. We'll close. Perseverance faith. You could do a whole message on, on perseverance. You could do a whole series on endurance. True faith will always endure. Did you guys get that? You already know it. True faith, true faith will always endure. That's His promise to them. He says no hair will perish. What's that? What's well, an ancient proverb that says, yet not of your hair will perish. It's just a metaphor for safety. Jesus used something that they're familiar with. Some of you will be put to death because you're hated by all account on my name. He says, so some of you are going to die. And he comes out and says, but not a hair of your head will be damaged. Well, that's great. I mean, you're going to die, but it's just going to be hair that's just going to perish or live forever, right? He's not saying that. He's using that euphemism. He isn't talking about physical protection here, although he does that. He'll do it all the way till he says, okay, now... I want you to come up to be with me. 
Some die atrocious deaths. Some die in their sleep. Some die in wars. There were a couple that just went right on up to meet God in the air and they didn't even die. (laughs) The rapture. I like that idea. I mean, dies as behold, I tell you a mystery. Some of you will be alive and caught up together with them, the ones who were dead, in the clouds. So that'll even happen. We look forward to that, don't we? Not guaranteeing that that's going to happen. We might be in their grave and come up out of it, die first, or we might be alive. Personally, I'll say, until it changes, why not? You guys like that? I think that would be the coolest thing in the world. You're just like what you are now, and the next thing you know, you're looking up, wow, I'm flying up here in the air, and I've been glorified. I mean, that is awesome, isn't it? This, I mean, there is nothing to be worried about as we go through this message because Jesus just told us. It's good. It's a good thing. Endurance. Gain your life. Yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. Hey, listen, if you go through persecution, then you'll get eternal life. Or, just like the Muslims say, you will get what? Seventy virgins. What about the women? Who? I mean, they don't get seventy virgins. Boy, that right there is religion against against women. You ever thought about that? And they beat their wives. Oh, they're such good people, aren't they? Do you know what really goes on in a household? You know, Muslims, I'm not saying everybody, but uh, men treat women like they're trash. They own them. Many of them have married American women, taken them back over to the Middle East and their home, and they do things to them that those women had no clue what was going to happen. And I've had first-hand testimonies of women that has happened to. Somehow they got away and they came back to America. And I'm wondering, why in the world did you even submit to a man like that who does not believe in Christ? These were Christian women. Manipulation happens so easy, doesn't it? You're going to endure to the end. You're going to manifest that your faith is real. Perseverance of the saints. Total depravity. Right? This is tulip. Total depravity. Unlimited, uh, unconditional election. Limited atonement. Irresistible grace. And perseverance of the saints. Actually, I like another word called preservation of the saints. We only persevere because we are preserved by God. Matthew 10.22 I have this underlined, so there must be something really good about it. You will be hated by all because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. To the end of this world as we know it. Yeah. Or to the end even of your life here on earth as you know it. You will be preserved. God will preserve His people. I've got a lot of other chap- uh, text we could go through. Um, 
the Romans 8, 38 and 39. i uh, got to get that one. Uh, I'm over time here. I'm sorry, but uh, I don't think I'm too sorry about it. For I'm convinced that neither death, there we go, even death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, not powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, not even yourselves, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. And we end on that. Folks, the most precious thing that you can have is the confidence that you're going to heaven. And we've seen frightful statements. There's no reason to fear because our souls are preserved forever. So whatever comes of this world, we are not terrified. And we know what our glorious end is going to be. To close on one other thing, 1 Peter chapter 4 Verse 12, look at this. And I think this kind of sums it up. First Peter 4, 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, whatever your own personal sufferings are, your trials, your tribulations, or if it be persecution, which comes upon you for your testing. It's really for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. It's not strange, is it? It's expected. It's expected. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rest on you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth, this word that warns us and it tells us of what is going to happen. It should give us great comfort. It should give us joy. We don't know what we're going to go through. We know we have had it very easy here in our country for most of our lives. Some may be a little bit worse than others, but in other places it's hard to imagine. But Lord, we pray for those people who are Christians, our brothers and sisters, who uh, somebody's probably being killed right now. Many are being arrested right now. And we pray for them that they would continue to believe in You and proclaim Your name. It's a special power and strength that happens, and we know that's what it would take for us if it were to happen to us someday. We give you all the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. With this, we take communion not only amongst ourselves, but even with the saints before us who've gone before us proclaiming the name of Christ. That's our message. That's not Kool-Aid, is it? Uh, Might have to ask Audrey.
Let's pray. Father, we take these elements as symbols of your death, your burial and resurrection. You shed your blood. You gave your body up. You sacrificed for us the ultimate sacrifice. From that we get our righteousness. We can stand boldly before your throne. Lord, we take this together as brothers and sisters. We rejoice together. And we rejoice because you are in our midst. And we remember you. For that's what you told the church to do. To remember you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. redemption. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth fruit from the vine. We're going to end uh, with uh, a blessing. As you go out of here, you like to be blessed? Amen. Blessed. Blessed we are.
Yeah. Very good. Thank you, Audrey. Oh, by the way, for who all are here, I forgot. Uh, there are newsletters at the table back there, I think. Am I right? Yeah. At the table. So grab your newsletters if you don't have those. From the one that was there last week. We had one here last Tuesday, but we haven't had one here Sunday. The last one said, said pray for Tennessee, but it didn't say exactly why. Well, the tornado. Nashville, Tennessee is where the tornado was. Yeah. Wow. Two weeks ago. Yeah, okay, you saw that Tuesday. They had quite a few killed in those. Is that the same one? Yeah. It's. See, we do something special during the church time. It's called communion. It's not snack time. It's something a little different. That's why Daddy won't let you have it, okay? I think they got hit harder than we did. Well, yeah, we did. actually, we saw the pictures of Dennis. They didn't get hit as hard as people that. It's 1.30 in the morning when it happened. Yeah, 1.30 in the morning, people that didn't pay attention. One of the kids were, yeah, people were yeah. sleeping. Well, that's intense. No idea. Right? Well, I think it's one o'clock or so like that, you know. I think No, I didn't, and I should have, and the girl told me I should have met, and the one that cut my hair, they, they fired. So I said, not because of me, but because of a lot of other a people. A lot of, she just wasn't like, good. Right, right yeah. yeah. So you said, was, well, I had her too, don't I get her? You know, yeah. yeah I know she said if it ever happened again, just to call and come in, she said, and take care of it. But this one, she she actually took her time and did a nice job. Yeah. So Maybe a little bit more sense, yeah. Like I said, you get some of them, and you like, I can tell within one, two, movements of my hair. I don't want them cutting your hair. But it's like, or do you trust it and see if they whack you off? They, they <laughs> yeah. this, and they had thinned it out here mm -hmm. and out here and then she told me that they'd cut it, she cut it really short up here. She mm -hmm. left it really long back here. Yeah. So there was just, it, and it didn't look right. Mm -hmm. And I ended up, most of the time I was done, I had to blow it dry. And by the time I was through, it just was all curling up and it was, and I mean, I had it cut just from where I left. Yeah, and those things get down there. Your yeah. hair takes such a beating anyway, so at least it's, it's cut right. It should yeah. give you something to work with. And, 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 yeah. and, and, and I was going to have um, five cool. So barber's tool. Oh, okay. And I was going to have the trimmer. And I thought, yeah, you know. Yeah. That's what, like, for me, I found that like, I had tried to 